I'm just going to allude to the fact that I'm going to try to do a live performance in form mocap in WebXR this fall. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Boom. She set the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Brendan Bradley with the Fifth Wall Forum, committed to bringing together industry insiders from the theater and technology worlds to create opportunities for new kinds of virtual performance. And today I'm having a conversation with Clemence DeBague, a dance artist, interaction designer, and artistic director of Unwired Dance Theater. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Fifth Wall Forum Discord channel, a robust community of hundreds of technologists and artists sharing job postings, tutorials, upcoming performances, and the home of Artifact Friday, where our mentors and collaborators share artifacts from their work, giving Fifth Wall Forum members a first glimpse at the latest in innovation and immersive storytelling. Find out more at our website at fifthwallforum.com. That's 5-T-H-W-A-L-L-F-O-R-U-M.com. And now let's get to the conversation, Clemence. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. You are one of the people I have spoken, I feel like, the most to over the last year. So I'm excited to get to a more formal conversation. Usually we are putting out fires in real time to try to present uh, dance and theater in WebXR. So I'm just excited to get into your work prior to my nonsense and also where you see this whole industry headed. <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked a lot um, in various contexts, but this is probably the first time we're having more of a wider conversation that's not related to a project. So I'm also really excited to talk about this with you. Well, not to get too pigeonholed in the beginning, but I would love to start with what you think that specific project was that first introduced you to combining technology with your choreography. Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think that goes back quite a while, actually. Let's do it. So my background is kind of, kind of varied. I um, have a background as a dancer, but I also have a background as an engineer and a designer. And back in those days when I finished engineering school, I had friends from kind of all type of practices. I had friends as software engineers and architects and designers and musicians and theatre people and Back then, I created my kind of first artistic collective um, where we wanted to create interactive performances combining technology, dance, and all the other things I've just listed. So that was back then in 2012, I think. Um, we created, so that doesn't exist anymore. It was called L'Atelier du Lampadaire back in France, um, which means the Streetlight Workshop. And we created this first um, interactive show uh, using back then some Wiimotes that we had <laughs> repurposed because it was kind of plug and play, fairly easy to um, kind of hack in a way. And we created this show where the audience could control um, what was happening on stage through those uh, devices. So we huh. created kind of small objects where we um, hid the Wiimotes in and that was connected to a laptop and when they were shaking uh, the, the object with a remote that was uh, generating some music and mm. each dancer on stage was um, kind of associated with an instrument and knew that when they were hearing their kind of part of the track, it was that time to move and we were kind of acting as puppets. That is so, so cool. There's such an interesting relationship that I feel like so much of your work plays with where the audience 
and the dancing is in dialogue, which I feel like all art has a dialogue, but you've made it so much more literal and connected in your work. Is that something you were influenced by early on, or is that just a natural progression of how you've felt the technology integrates with the art? I think it's both, actually. Um, so my one of my, my backgrounds is in interaction design, and I've done a lot of work as a UX designer and a service designer, and all of this is about designing experiences for people to interact with a brand or interact with each other. And naturally I've made this link with my art praxis where um, I wanted to create experiences that are not, you know, one-sided and I was using technology as a way to kind of bridge this gap and to enable those interactions. So I would say pre-COVID, because there's a bit of a story there, but pre-COVID I was really using technology as a kind of a, a second secondary um, actor in those performances, mm. just as an enabler for those interactions between audience and dancers. Um, since COVID, uh, I've used technology as a way to also perform um, and make those possible, make those performances possible and create those worlds where we kind of uh, then start, um, you know, meeting together and interacting in, um, which is, an interesting evolution because before I was working more with hardware and, you know, projection mapping and things that were a little bit more in the background. Uh, but now it's definitely at the forefront of um, everything I'm creating. I'm such a big advocate for that, that kind of new accessibility that we were all forced to discover through kind of making our pipelines more virtual through COVID. Do you think that you're going to be bringing some of those learnings now back to your physical performance or do you think that this was kind of a blip to meet the moment and fill that time I hope it's not a blip because I think there's like tremendous <laughs> opportunities there um I I I'm keen to bring this in the real world and I'm I really um I'm really interested in finding those hybrid formats um I thinking you know, how can we have people remote and people on site interacting together and interacting with the performance? But also, um, I also feel that the audience might be a little bit more open to using technology on in real life performances. So um, I would say two years ago, if we were asking the audience to use their phone at any point in the performance, that would have been like panic <laughs> suddenly. <laughs> Massive onboarding, people, you know, all hands on deck to help people to connect and things like this. But now it would feel way easier to bring people on board with those um, type of interactions. And I feel we are now, um, we have that opportunity to go much further. I remember, I think it was a Palabolus performance in 2012, 10, um, that they were encouraging us to take out our phones to not even interact, but just to kind of like capture, like they're kind of teaching the audience to help them document and archive and talk about wins and perspective. And that felt so foreign at the time that like a dance company was telling me to record in the theater because that is so taboo usually. Um, so I love the idea of giving the audience agency and activity to actually help engage and unpack new parts of the performance. Yeah, I'm almost more interested in a way in choreographing those interactions than the pure movement practice that dance comes with I tend to look at some of my pieces are almost like a social experiment mm -hmm. <laughs> of what how far can we push those interactions and how can we question our relationship with technology through those um, experiences and interactions but also our um, kind of behaviors between each other 
uh, when it's mediated with technology. So to give you an example, I did a piece that was a mix between a durational performance and an installation with a human in it. It's called Bother, uh, and the setup is that you have a performer uh, in front of you and two buttons when you enter the room, a red button and a blue button. Uh, And those buttons allow you to decide what emotion you want the person in front of you to experience. And the red goes towards more negative emotions and kind of brutal and violent feelings for the person in front of you and the blue one are going towards more um, um, happy and joyful um, feelings and there is um, the, the performer is tracked in the space um, and there's a projector on the ceiling that also kind of address the dancer with graphics that are also expressing uh, those emotions and the dancer is then also adapting their um, movement vocabulary um, according to the level of um, emotions on that scale. Uh, So that kind of gives you a real sense of like, oh, it's really strong one-to-one interaction and uh, you have a total control on the person in front of you. And it was really interesting to observe, uh, first of all, how people are reacting. Um, So do they dare touching those buttons? (laughs) (laughs) Do they explore? Are they going to go towards the positive or the negative? And how much empathy are they going to feel towards that person who is in front of them? Um, But what was the most interesting is actually we put another set of buttons on the other side. And then we ended up discovering some group dynamics where people started arguing (laughs) and like, no, she looks tired. Go on to the blue and, you know, make her happy. Let her have a rest. Um, And this is what I'm enjoying the most is that group dynamic more than what the dancer is actually doing in front of them. Wow. It almost sounds like you are choreographing the audience itself through experience design or at least experience opportunity. Completely. And I, I love describing it this way. Um, I, I like looking at or kind of speculating on how they might interact and what do I need to design to encourage those behaviors. But my favorite part is being surprised and, you know, what I hadn't thought about and what they're going to do and how can we improvise and kind of create a story around this. You and I have talked so much, both literally and figuratively, about onboarding uh, (laughs) the audience into kind of new ecosystems. Do you find that having such a background and skill set and training in embodiment and movement through space, that it gives you a unique perspective or a unique advantage onto how how the audience might want to navigate these new spaces? Completely. I... I think there's like two two of my backgrounds that are coming into play here. So definitely as my um, movement practice and also as an interaction designer, um, I have designed you know many more kind of commercial experiences. Um, but what is really interesting is how I can translate that to evolving in the space, evolving within a story, evolving um, in a more kind of immersive theater context where um, if you were designing a more digital product, you might want to think about a UI elements or um, an onboarding journey where you have a step-by-step guide or, you know, that, that type of kind of strategies. But when you start looking at a more um, spatial and embodied experience, you might think about what are the cues you can put around the person that are either tactile, visual, spatial, 
to give an indication of where this should go. What is the thing they're allowed to touch? What um, What is the limit as, as well? What is the boundary between the performer and uh, the interaction space? Um, and all of that kind of comes into play. And I feel now with the type of performances we are uh, designing and you know we're looking into WebXR and we've worked a lot <laughs> on this together, uh, <laughs> All of this is completely new for the entire industry. Everyone is trying to find kind of best practices. And I find this really exciting that I have some background that eyes bring me some answers, but also I'm learning so much on the way. Speaking of learning, because I feel like I learn from you and from so many other artists as well. I've been kind of blown away. I kind of started on board very haphazardly, and I think many would argue it is still conducted very haphazardly. But what I've been so surprised by is how passionate and excited people have been to have this kind of self-generative sandbox to play inside of. Can you speak to, first of all, the, the amazing work that you're doing with Onboard and your desire to keep on pushing the limits of what WebXR can do, particularly with interactive audience responsive content? But I also would be just curious as to where do you start when you're first crafting a piece for virtual performance. Hmm. It's getting a bit introspective. I need to think about this for a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, where do I start? I feel that I I keep myself like very inspired by the work of a lot of people. And sometimes it's start by an idea I need to scratch that might be a bit more technical. Or sometimes it's more from an interaction point of view. And I'm thinking, ooh, people could interact in a new way because this technology platform environment allows things that haven't been explored before and there are other times where I'm starting more from a narrative point of view and I don't think I have like a general rule um it just kind of sparks somewhere and then I'm kind of pulling the thread and see how far I can go what I do though is I'm trying to prototype this as early as possible and I think the work we've done with Onboard is an amazing example and gives us that ability to prototype really quickly. I might just prototype it as in fake it completely. So just maybe to um, walk you through what I've done for the, the latest version of um, the show presented for Onboard, that is called Strings. If um, people haven't seen it, you should. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the idea was to have a floor mat um, that is interactive and that people in the virtual space can... Uh, position themselves in the environment and depending on where they are in the environment that would have an effect on the dancer who is a real person who is in front of them who's me <laughs> I'm the dancer in this situation I'm wearing um, wearables um, on each of my limbs so I have um, one kind of device on my arms and one device on each of my legs and depending on where people are in the virtual environment this is sending me a vibration uh, through those devices, and that indicates which body part I should move. You will hear a link with what I was explaining from a project from almost 10 years ago. I, there's a big theme around control in my work. Um, but that was kind of the the idea, and I was interested in a few things. I was interested in how can I kind of leverage 
the fact that people are in a virtual space and can move around, what is the most kind of natural interaction we can explore here? And I had done a previous version of this show where people were interacting from their phones and it was a Zoom show where people were using kind of multi-screen um, setup, watching the live stream through Zoom and then interacting um, those kind of four quadrants on their phone. But porting this show into WebXR, I was really trying to think about um, how do I stay away from flat UI <laughs> and how can I start using more embodied interactions because people are in this uh, 3D environment. The first thing I did then in terms of like pulling this vision I had in my head was to just place a fake floor mat and put people in the space and I asked someone to tell me where people were. So I had like a... Like a spotter. Yeah, a spotter. <laughs> but kind of using, using you know, these kind of mechanical Turk approach to, to the system and have someone telling me, okay, it's the right arm. And I was moving the right arm until, you know, someone else was placing themselves elsewhere. And they were like, okay, now it's the leg. So faking completely to just test, is that a concept here? Is there something to explore? And this is, is it worth starting investing time and effort in building the technical system to make it happen. Oh, wow. So it's, it's approaching it from the, the kind of basic mechanics, almost like a paper prototype, and then seeing, is this worth me going down the rabbit hole and actually coding it? Completely. Like I have um, in my work, actually, an approach that is taken from a lot of my UX background, but could also, we can make a parallel with the way we would make a game and, you know, paper prototyping, involving users in playtesting as soon as possible because as we were describing earlier this is all about choreographing interactions with the audience so my starting point is thinking about how is the audience going to be interacting with the story and the show and the dancer speaking of this theme of control through your work what i love about this space is how homegrown everything is right now so not only are you <laughs> dancing through your web camera in the virtual reality space. You you build the VR room the audience is moving in. You scripted the code for this interactive format. But you're also soldering and 3D printing the haptic bands you're wearing. <laughs> Can you talk about this process of fully designing from the ground up, not just the experience, but the entire tech behind it? And, and just from a, a pure, like, kudos hats off to you how do you find the time and energy <laughs> um yeah i've made a, a few compromises on my social life and uh my sleep <laughs> um sure, so sure. for a bit of context i went back to school uh three years ago and uh, i decided it was time for me to give it a go to really dedicating myself to this kind of dance and tech uh, career, I wanted to have this more than an inspiration and a kind of side hustle, but really make this my kind of main career. And I had a bunch of um, ideas and skills that I wanted to uh, get together. But the one piece of the puzzle that was missing was the technical skills. So three years ago, quit my day job, <laughs> reduced my creative projects to then go back to school and did a master's in computational arts at Goldsmiths University in London and learned from scratch how to program and learn a bunch of technical skills from hardware to programming in C++ and doing some C-sharp scripting and all of this in the duration of the masters. And that blew my mind and opened it to so many possibilities. 
So I really have now this kind of maker hacker mindset to everything I do. And I'm not completely tied to one technology. I feel that I have a good enough understanding of how technical systems work to be able to pick up skills. So that leads to uh, creating those insane architectures from hardware that are connected to a server, that connected to a virtual world in Mozilla Hubs and kind of hacking the Mozilla Hubs cloud code to connect all of this together. And it might take me a bit more time than someone who's done this for years, but I feel that coming from more the artistic side of things and what is the thing I'm trying to deliver, I'm actually able to just have this helicopter view of everything that needs to be in place and almost learn on the fly how to make them. So I... Um, I've done a few projects with hardware because this is kind of what I was doing kind of pre-pandemic. So I kind of knew how to do this. But when the pandemic kicked in, everything that I was doing almost on site, either in the theater or in a gallery context where, you know, you have your own devices, you've tested it on one machine, you know, it works. <laughs> I kind of had to think about how do I make this available remotely now? And I got myself into more web technologies which I hadn't touched at all before and I got into myself a lot into networking um and that those were kind of the missing pieces of the puzzle as well in kind of building full end-to-end experiences and starting making this available remotely to a really wide audience speaking of learning on the fly and making things available you've become a real champion you're a lecturer now at goldsmith university and continue with your research program but you also have been incredible in documenting some of this work and also i feel like really marketing it very well on your social media especially for unwired dance theater can you speak a little to what it's like for newcomers and the students that you're reaching out to and interacting with to introduce them into some of these new workflows and technologies? I feel that for new students, they're kind of both terrified, but at the same time, more equipped (laughs) (laughs) to handle this because I feel they already come with a mindset of knowing they can just Google something and learn how to do it. Mm. And I came into this uh, as a kind of almost second career in a way. And even if I grew up with YouTube in a way, kind of, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but <laughs> I feel like the youngest students, um, they, they've, they've been born into social media and, you know, uh, with the internet and nothing scares them in terms of learning new skills. And as a lecturer, this is gold. This is so much fun. I can mm. just, you know, trigger some ideas and give them a little bit of direction of like kind of best practices and where to start and then the sky's the limit. If someone's listening and they do not have the safety or security of whether it's age on their side or whether it is an academic institution to kind of be incubated in, what do you, for other professionals out there, what is kind of a first step or a first place someone might go to kind of get their feet wet? I would say two things. First, do a lot of research as in what are other people doing? Go to shows, go on Twitter and kind of start looking at what everyone is doing and follow some other artists that inspires you and start getting an idea of what are the things that excite you about the work they're doing and what is the tech that is behind. So kind of having this both artistic approach to the research, but also starting understanding a little bit what it takes to to make those experiences uh, possible. And then after that, I would just say, 
do it. <laughs> Start doing it. So I, I'm a very, and it's kind of the way I'm approaching this with my students as well, is um, learn by doing. So even if it's just kind of prototyping a tiny thing, just start with a small project and try to make it happen. And if you're stuck, reach out to the community. And where do you go to connect with that community or get inspired or find out about shows and new artists? So I would say for this specific type of work, Twitter has been amazing. And I kind of do a mix between spending a lot of time on Instagram and spending a lot of time on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's kind of my kind of basic kind of research. I'm just scrolling endlessly. (laughs) Um, And then on top of that, I've realized I've made a lot of interesting connections. I um, have stopped being shy about contacting people. So now I just, out of nowhere, you know, either reach out in a comment or DM people and say, hey, do do you want to catch up? you're doing some work that is connected to my work. Um, should we just, you know, have a virtual coffee and then discuss about our work? And then that starts growing and connecting people and, you know, creating this network of um, other creatives that you might want to reach out to later. And that's pretty much how we met. <laughs> I, I think I shamelessly reached out to you on Twitter and was like, I am obsessed with what you're doing. Do you want to come do it in my weird sandbox? <laughs> yeah, I was shocked when you contacted me just for a slight story because I think I discovered you and your work through a podcast. And it was when I was doing my research and I was trying to see who is doing what in the industry. And I heard a podcast you did and I was like, oh, kind of started Googling you and then found you on Twitter and I think I retweeted one of your tweets or something like this. And then you contacted me straight after. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah, I'm that weird person <laughs> that anytime someone likes or retweets me, I then go search like their last 10 posts um, because I'm just like, what are they about? What do they do? And your stuff is so mind-blowingly impressive that I was like, okay, um, I don't understand half of this, but this is the cooler version of what I think people should be doing. So <laughs> I wonder if she'll write me that. I was like, that's the person I was listening to on my walk around the house. (laughs) Well, speaking of people listening to this right now, this podcast while they're walking around their house, part of the reason we do this podcast is to kind of signal boost to the entire community. What is a resource that you and Unwired Dance Theater are currently looking for that would help take your work or your next project to that next level? Um, money. <laughs> well, yes, obviously it's money fell out of the sky. Um, joke aside, even if it's not really a joke, uh, I right. think where we're at at the moment with Unwired. So Unwired is pretty um, young as a dance company. We appeared as a fully kind of branded company with a name and everything in January 2021. Oh, wow. Uh, which is kind of uh, drawn from my own work that I was kind of doing under my own name. Um, but I realized I was doing it with the same people. Um, and I had kind of a group of artists I love collaborating with and the work starting creating kind of a, a coherent body of work that could really live on on its own as an entity and instead of just, you know, being my work. Um, so I decided to create an award on theatre in January. Um, some of the work we, uh, we're presenting is, you know, kind of historical work where um, some of my collaborators were already part of. What we need now, though, because we're pretty young um, as um, a company is we need to build an audience and we need to build a regular audience. So 
my main hurdle at the moment is doing this and doing some marketing. So for anyone who's listening, please go to Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, we are NYD Dance Theatre uh, on pretty much all the handles. Um, Theatre reads in the British way with T-R-E at the end. And uh, please follow, please share, please uh, tell your friends. Um, that's pretty much the main thing we need at the moment is to expand our reach. Can I ask about that reach? And we will wander into a territory that I'm not planned for, nor do I know any of the answers myself to. I am so fascinated by this idea because I come from kind of the world of digital video and, and social media and social content and influencer content. And I know a lot of the dirty secrets about those conversion metrics and how the audience will or won't follow you. What are you finding is that current sweet spot or at least somewhat successful strategy of curating an audience through this free media on social to actually get them to the shows and get them to actually engage and interact with your work? Well, I don't know if I have the answer to that. <laughs> that that's a real struggle, to be fair. I actually think it was easier pre-COVID um, mm. and everyone jumped on this um, train because that was the main way to you know promote that work um, I also think that I'm kind of used to producing and promoting my own shows I've been doing this for a while because of the nature of the work it doesn't always fit within a you know a program of a venue they don't really know how to kind of program it properly so I've I've creating my own opportunities a lot in the past. So I'm kind of familiar with marketing the show and, and getting people to turn up. But I've noticed that a lot of artists have um, taken the same approach since the beginning of the pandemic. So there's been a boom of content and choices online on social media that I find it much harder to reach a kind of regular audience now. And it would require... Um, more marketed efforts that I'm able to provide mm -hmm. at the moment because we're such a small team. Um, so it goes back to my first kind of joke about money because I think at this stage, I'm at a point where I'd like to secure more regular funding to have sure. a team that is also regularly paid uh, and is not necessarily project-based. So... I'm finding ways to fund projects, but how do you then retain uh, someone right. who's going to handle marketing? How do you handle someone's going to handle the admin and kind of free time for the tech, the rehearsal, the creative exploration, um, and then actually doing projects. So um, what I'm trying to do, because I'm doing all the marketing myself and there's no one doing it at the moment, um, and I've got help from um, one of my dancers called Chloe Bellu, um, and she's been uh, with me for a long time. Um, you know, she's on all the pictures. That's Chloe. <laughs> um, she's uh, really interested in doing social media. So she's doing a lot of the engagement throughout our accounts um, and kind of following other accounts and engaging with them. But in terms of producing the content, it's pretty much me. Uh, and this is my main hurdle at the moment. I want someone else to do it for me. <laughs> it takes so much time, but because I have to do it on my own, I'm trying to be kind of creative in um, finding kind of tricks for this not to take me that much time. So I'm trying to always kind of document 
what I'm doing. Um, and I'm not always the best at doing this, especially when you're in a rush and you have, you know, like, I don't have even time to grab my phone and take a selfie of me soldering because I haven't slept for three days and I don't want to be on a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I'm trying to, you know, just be as honest as possible instead of trying to create fake content for social media. So social media is going to be Right. Uh, documenting the work we're doing outside uh-huh. instead of being uh-huh. a social media content creator, if that makes sense. That does. And I actually think that that really speaks to a lot of where I see social media starting to transition and really find success, mm. especially in like TikTok culture. I find that people don't want the polish and kind of faux pitching that a lot of uh, social media content and influencer content typically has. We see this with like Ratatouille the musical Mm. where it's, it's actually seeing those ladies, you know, just at the piano trying to craft those first few chords that then that's what really goes viral and really connects because people feel like they're on that journey with you. Absolutely. And it actually took me a while to be okay with that. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Coming from, you know, the dance industry yes. and it was like everything needs to be perfect and this is kind of how we've been trained and uh-huh. cherry picking all those pictures where you have the leg perfectly aligned and none of this. And then suddenly you ask me to, you know, to go on a live on on on, on an Insta live and uh, like a green light that is disgusting. That took me a while to be okay with this. <laughs> well, and I, and I think the thing to kind of just, that I have to keep reminding myself of is that the community is very small. Yeah. So it, sometimes it can feel like, God, I'm just not reaching enough people. And the idea is that like, look, the people are haven't shown up yet. Like they're still coming. And so you are reaching you, the, the community that does exist is aware of your work. It's just that that community is currently very, very small. And as it grows, the question is how do you scale your work and remain relevant in that space and that's any industry oh completely completely and i think interestingly when i when i created unwired i started by doing you know a little bit of kind of strategy work and trying to frame more what is the thing we're creating and that included thinking about our audience and who are they and one of the biggest learning throughout this pandemic because i've done so much remote work that is more self-driven and then you know I had to find that audience myself uh compared to maybe working with a gallery or working with a theater where they have their own audiences and maybe they were like oh we bring this edge with this artist was doing different things this time I felt that I could reach out more people would not necessarily go to a theater so I'm addressing creative technologies gamers tech enthusiasts in general and this is such a different audience for dance I, I don't know. It's, it's really exciting. It's a big audience. I'm, I still feel that from a marketing point of view, I'm trying to th- see what is the angle to make them tick and make them stick. <laughs> oh, I'm going <laughs> to steal that. I love that. Oh. <laughs> so you're looking for audience. You're looking for marketing. You're looking for a kind of admin support and kind of sustainability support. How can people get in touch with you if they might want to offer that support or just follow the journey? Sure. So the best way is to go to our website. So it's unwireddontheatre.com. So again, theatre in a British spelling. So T-R-E at the end dot com. Uh, There are many ways to get in touch with us. 
from the website. So you will have the links to all our social media there. Um, there is a contact form uh, that lands straight in my mailbox. And there is also, um, for anyone who wants to react to my first call about money, there is a support us button. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, using uh, coffee.com, which means there is no fees attached to the donation. All the money goes straight to us and that would help us fund some um, space hire for rehearsals. Anything that is a little bit outside of a pure project that is already defined, helping us to do some research, helping us to explore new technologies. That's how we use that type of donation. And I can confirm that uh, you respond to Clemence de Big on uh, Twitter. As well. <laughs> so <laughs> follow you there and occasionally DM if it's appropriately a, some sort of job offer or opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. So there is also my kind of personal account. So there is um, Clemence de Beg underscore art on Instagram and Clemence de Beg um, on Twitter. Uh, and my last name, I mean, should, I probably should spell it because no one probably knows how to spell Clemence de Beg. So it's C L E M E N C E. D-E-B-A-I-G um, on oh, well, social. Clemence, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I love this conversation. I love every conversation we get to have. And I'm very excited to continue working with you this fall. I'm so excited as well. There's uh, some really exciting things coming. I'm just going to allude to the fact that I'm going to try to do a live performance in full mocap in WebXR for Onboard XR this fall. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Boom. She set the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about adding more trackers and more technology to all this work? Yes. So uh, this work is happening in the context of um, a research project I'm doing with Goldsmith University. Uh, so I'm a lecturer there, but I'm also um, a researcher there. And what we're doing is to connect dancers who are in different locations in mocap suits um, and having them dons in real time in the virtual space so that involves thinking about potential remote interactions that are meaningful um, but also what type of stories we can build with uh, dancers being remote uh, but there's also the pure kind of technical challenge of streaming mocap data yeah. streaming any data is complicated but streaming <laughs> multiple points of data is crazy uh, i mean can you talk a little bit about some of the early findings you've had there or what has kind of been best practices? Yeah, so in terms of like streaming the data, we've uh, created this open source project um, to stream mocap data uh, that includes creating your own server and then figuring out how to um, get the data out and through the server and back in. Um, so the technical side of things is on its way. Um, so we're kind of confident about this part. But what's been really interesting is to put dancers who are less technical in this environment and to um, go on this journey of learning how to interact in mocap and how to interact in real time um, that includes spatial awareness, that includes, um, you know, how do they actually see the other person? So just to explain a little bit the setup so far, we had the person who was with us in London in the space um, had a kind of giant projection room. So we were not in VR um, and the remote dancers were in their living room and one of them was in their um, daughter's bedroom, <laughs> I think, because that was the biggest space they had access to um, in a full mocap suit um, and <laughs> uh 
had to just look at a computer screen to understand where they were positioned and then track. So that was one of the main blocker, uh, not being in a VR headset and not being able to look around and, you know, um, understand where your position, where the other person is. Um, so that, that was a big challenge, but at the same time, that also allowed us to do things around having mirrors and having kind of a grid position in the space where if we were starting building this in VR, which is kind of our next step, um, we will have to understand, you know, what is the starting point? Do we have the actual space in the room to be in VR? Because, you know, thinking about someone who's in their daughter's bedroom, this is not a palace. <laughs> this is normal kid's bedroom. <laughs> so right. is there a risk for the dancer to be in VR in that space? Um, how do we navigate this? Can we, so far, I haven't seen, you know, proper movement uh, practice in VR. So what does that mean to spin in VR? What does that mean to you know, go to the floor and roll around when you've got a headset on your head and you're actually in the physical space where you might need to be careful of what's around you? And if we make the parallel with um, Dream, the um, 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 Royal Shakespeare uh, a production, I don't know if you noticed, but all the actors who were in VR had someone next to them to guide them through the space so that's going to be my kind of main question when we start putting dancers in vr is is it something you can actually do on your own or do you need to have someone kind of securing you around um the the other thing that was really interesting is the relation to your avatar but that's any kind of mocap work um but that was really interesting to see with dancers who are trained to look at themselves in the mirror all day long um how <laughs> how they were reacting to seeing another form re, you know reacting to their movement so um and how then you have this kind of mirror effect on their own body and how that makes them embody different shapes so you might have you know a, a, a dancer you know female identifying pretty you know ballerina typical body type you know pretty tall and skinny um being in the skin of a really muscular wolf for example um and how very naturally through the mocap process they're gonna embody this um uh, other figure and and what that looks like on the real life body and from a movement practice this kind of dialogue between the virtual representation and the physical representation is really interesting and could be a really interesting choreographing tool. And where do you see that dialogue going ultimately? What to you would be the ultimate expression of the tool? It's an interesting question because I think there are almost two paths here. There is the pure mocap work and having the tool to kind of stream the data would allow choreographers to, you know, explore different um, type of choreographies and maybe have remote rehearsals and, you know, navigate the pandemic or other kind of touring situations um so that's kind of one way where the tool can be an interesting dialogue between the virtual representation and the preparation of like an in real life show and how you can use that to choreograph so you have some choreographing and rehearsal techniques where you're trying to immerse yourself into a body language of the character you're trying to embody. So the virtual representation could really help with that. On the other side, which almost a side that I'm slightly more interested in, is what is that remote interaction between two dancers? 
And we're starting exploring things around touching a virtual body that is lighting up, uh, which is not <laughs> something you can do in real life. Um, and we can, <laughs> well, you could actually, but it's a different technical project. Um, but we had another one where um, you could light up that we had one character. He was a person with uh, a torchlight in the forest and the other person was a fox and when this is my favorite it is so cool when the light reaches the fox the fox turns into a tree and as much as i believe that we can do things in the theater <laughs> i don't think that is possible um so there's a lot of magic that can be created and a lot of play that can be created uh between those um performers interacting in the virtual space and then thinking about different interactions and for me the next step linked to my practice is what is the role of the audience. Um, and that's why I'm really interested in WebXR because then we can have more people joining and thinking about new interactions and thinking about remote performers who have those kind of superpowers, but also having the audience who can influence what's happening. I look forward to seeing how all that plays out. Thanks. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thanks so much to Clemence Debeg for the conversation. If you want to join me on the show, find me online at the handle Brendan A. Bradley or go to fifthballforum.com to find out more. I'm Brendan Bradley wishing you a happy Friday and I'll see you next time.